2: Media.
3: Hello, and welcome to Cool People, Cool cool thing, <laughs> there's, no, there's only a forward. I'm your host, Margaret Killjoy, and this is a podcast about cool people did cool stuff with this title that probably is the same as what I just said. And my guest today is the host of Cool Stuff Your Mom Wasn't Cool Enough to Know About, Samantha McVeigh.
4: <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be back on with y'all. This makes my yeah. day.
3: Yeah. <laughs> This is... Well, I guess I should do the rest of the introductions. With me today is my producer, who's always been my producer. We've always been at war with Oceania. Uh, okay, no, I shouldn't do that. that make people <laughs> oh. think that Shireen is a permanent producer. Shireen is standing in today for Sophie, because Shireen is awesome. The producer's yes. Shireen. Hi, Shireen.
5: I'm technically a producer, because I do book the show, so I am she a does. producer. Oh, that's true. Um, She's
4: booked all my shows for you. Hell yeah. As a that's guest. That's
5: something I have done. Okay. Um, no, but I'm here... Um, and I like the, the the three of us. I feel like ve- this is a very safe space. You know what I mean? Like I feel very safe with both of y'all. This is a nice little trio we have. Yeah, I like it. Let's just stay here. Yeah, let's just stay. Yeah. Let's just just talk.
4: Yeah.
3: yeah, this is now a twenty four seven live podcast. <laughs> You'll be able to hear us sleep.
4: I grind my teeth. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs>
3: it's, it's fine. I can go back to sleep. To it's anything. the stress. Yeah, it's Aww. the stress.
4: <sighs> anyway
3: well uh, the other person who has to stress about the show is Danil our audio engineer hi Daniel.
5: hi Danil
3: Shereen we can't go forward until you say hi Danil
5: oh hi sorry I, I really had a brain no, fart okay. there I haven't said oh no I, don't, I hate that I'm saying that again I said that that's the second time I said that that week brain farts out uh, fog brain fog no 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 glitching I glitched oh, so, glitch. my bad I glitched uh, hi Danil like love you Danil Thanks, Daniel.
4: I met Daniel one time. The only time I've ever been in the studio in California, Daniel
5: helped us out. Yeah. Daniel's the best, man. Daniel's the man.
4: I bet he doesn't remember us, though.
5: No, he remembers. remembers. I
3: I bet Daniel does. I would bet money.
5: He's the best. He remembers. Yeah. Hi, Daniel.
3: (laughs) Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And this is part two of a two-parter. Although, usually I say that to be like, well, what the fuck are you doing? There's no way you could possibly understand what I'm about to talk about unless you listen to part one. And this time, that's not really true, because I'm telling two distinct stories on a similar topic. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Last time, well, in some ways, it's just a continuation of the thing that we talked about a year and a half ago when we talked about the Jane Collective. And then on Monday, we talked about the groups of lay organizations in Germany that performed a million abortions a year and never got written about in English history. And now... We're going to talk about California, which no one ever talks about. Actually, there's What's California. This story's cool.
4: Yeah. Where is this?
3: It's this um, state they made up to feature in a new movie called Civil War that comes out this year.
5: Oh my God. What that? <laughs> Wait, that's a separate t- episode altogether. <laughs> are you all going to
3: do an that. episode Shereen's the host of uh, It Could Happen Here Which actually talks about Current events unlike me mm. Are you all going to talk about The movie Civil War
5: I mean I would love to I don't know I'm gonna, a, I think it's a Robert question To be honest Yeah uh, okay But um, that would be really fun
3: I would like your take on it too though
5: um, I, I have some takes I have some takes Okay Alright
3: California Many people have heard of it You are doing something right Or at least interesting When history remembers you As part of the Army of Three. Wow. Oh. Or if people remember you as the first abortion rights activist in the U.S., which, Ooh. again, we talked about this last time. I am 100% certain these are not the first abortion rights activists in the United States. But you know what? You're doing something right if people remember you as that. It's not their fault they got <laughs> called that. Pat McGinnis, Rowena Gurner, and Lana clark Fallon, In the mid-1960s in the Bay Area, they set up two complementary organizations. One had the catchy name, really just, I'm just so over how people name things. I guess that's what it really comes down to. <laughs> they set up the Society for Humane Abortion, which is fine, it's SHA. And they also set up the Association to Repeal Abortion Laws, ARL, And that's fine. Those are fine names. The SHA was the above-ground advocacy arm, and ARRL did the crimes. Ooh when in doubt every movement is stronger when the illegal and legal components work together to support each other and i am the first person to ever come up with that idea get it cuz <laughs> first and i'm totally the first person
4: you should be credited
3: yeah absolutely every now and then people like credit like me with having and i'm like no i just repeat the stuff that i've learned from people anyway yeah, totally. I invented everything. It started with Pat. Pat was a, a white woman who was raised Catholic and poor in Ithaca, New York. She was born in 1928. She joined the army, and she got in trouble for hanging out with a black soldier. I think they were fucking. It was like fraternizing with a black soldier. I I assume everything is code for fucking. I don't know whether that's true or not. I think it's fair. And so they, like, punished her by sending her off to some, they, like, When the state controls you because you're in the army, they can just be like, now you got to go work over there or whatever. She got out of the army. She moved to the Bay. And by 1961, she was an abortion rights activist. And the way she started doing this, she just started standing on street corners and talking to strangers about abortion. She just was like, hey, you want to talk about how it shouldn't be illegal and shouldn't be dangerous to have abortions in this country? And people would be like, yeah, okay. And like, what in... It's not outdated. What an old-fashioned but not outdated way to start making change. You know?
4: Yeah. I feel like she was taking on like old-school preachers who used to just stand in the middle of the street and start screaming at you about going to hell. So she's like, you know what? Let me try this in my tactic. Let me see. Do you know about abortion and why (laughs) it should be uh, legal? Yeah. Yeah, and it
3: wasn't quite soapboxing, which is that weird... I've learned so much about soapboxing from doing this show because, yeah, people talk about the like literally standing on a soapbox. It turns out that was like... That was just Twitter before you had Twitter. Is you would go to the public square and there'd be like 40 people oh. standing on soapboxes. you just go walk around. It was like, people were really bored before the invention of TV, you know?
4: They do um, that at college campuses, or they did when I was in college, and that's been a, that's been a minute. Cool. That could be around the yeah. same time frame, but they did that too.
3: There was probably hacky sack and didgeridoos. You no, know,
4: they were yelling about everybody going to hell. Oh. Oh. But some of them may be hacky sacking. That prob- that's about the time frame.
3: Okay, okay.
4: I feel outdated.
3: I don't know. I just assume that everyone still does exactly the same things that we did when we were kids. I
4: think you and I are from the same generation. So I, I appreciate too, yeah. that you're kind of on point with my yeah. life. And I feel both sad and validated.
3: Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> um, so, Pat, by 1962, she starts a group. I have a feeling this group is just her, but I'm not 100% certain. The Citizens Committee for Humane Abortion Laws. And basically, her argument was, and this is an entirely solid argument, fewer people will die if abortion is legalized. And also, what if people owned the insides of their own bodies? Like, she literally phrased it as, like, people own their own internal organs. I'm like,
4: points made.
3: That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so she started doing media talks and conducted opinion polls and shit. And she ran a service where people could ask her about abortion by mail. And so, like, I get it why she's called the first abortion trade activist. And, like, I'm sure I've covered a lot of people talking about fairly similar things in the 19th century or whatever. But she was just, like, on the ground working as an activist alone. Mm
6: -hmm.
3: And, like, more fucking power to her. In 1964, Rowena Gurner showed up at her apartment just, like, cold-called stranger and was like, hey, I hear you're the lady trying to do something about abortion. That rules. Can I help?
4: Made friends. Hell yeah.
3: The subtext here is that she knew where the apartment was. I think that the, like, asking questions by mail was just out of her own apartment. Mm. I cannot imagine. I think that the anti-abortion movement didn't really pick up speed until the 70s and 80s, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was already illegal. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so hard for me to wrap my head around someone not using a P.O. box for asking me about crime. Here's my address, you know?
5: Right.
4: I wonder if she thought that much through, as much as like, eh, this is going to give everybody a chance to talk to me. Probably. Who's really going to do this? We'll see.
3: Yeah, she's fucking great. And the day she shows up, she sits down and starts helping with the mail. And the two started referring people to abortionists. And now they're in doing the crime part. They inc- They built a kit that was a detailed reviews of every provider available many of whom were like in Mexico Puerto Rico and Japan Uh, Japan actually was a a routine procedure at this point whereas in Mexico and Puerto Rico is illegal but it was like easier to do you know Mm -hmm. and they provided guidance for how to navigate the whole process There was like here's what to do in the cab there's going to be people as soon as you ask for this address the cab driver is going to try and like take you to a different provider because he gets a cut. If you go to a different provider, here's how to tell him that you don't want to go to someone else, you know. And coached people through the process of controlling their bodies. When they got reports of providers threatening or sexually assaulting patients or whatever, they were like, they'd write to the provider who was acting up and be like, wouldn't it be a shame if we started putting your home address and full legal name in our document instead of this, mm-hmm. you know, other place? And basically threaten doctors into good behavior.
4: Good.
3: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. whatever works. Yep. Yeah, in 1965, Lana Clark Fallon joined, and met like literally there was like out pamphleting in the rain, and this woman came up and was like, "Y'all rule! Can I join?"
5: The meat mm-hmm. mu- the meet cues that are happening in this in this history is are incredible. They're great. Absolutely,
3: yeah. you want to meet your people. Spend years standing on street corners telling, "Oh, that's really sad," but it it worked, you know.
4: <laughs> I, don't, f- I don't know if that applies today, kids. So don't don't necessarily do that right now.
6: No, no, I but... can okay, go
4: wrong. <laughs> 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 Just stand on the t- corner
3: and talk about the need for crime, like my my <laughs> upcoming pamphlet, the need for ecocept. Anyway, so it's got to be on the nose. Margaret. Yeah. Gosh, uh, so then they built a legal strategy they were like we don't like that this is illegal how do we make it legal and they were like well we don't have like a ton of resources and let's get ourselves arrested and we'll take Mm -hmm. it to court and be like what we're doing is not fucking wrong which is a common legal strategy from for bottom up legal change Mm -hmm. right top Mm -hmm. down you can just hire people to go bribe people and I almost said Hollywood but what's the opposite Washington (laughs) And so they wanted to get arrested so they could have their day in court. And so they, because they wanted to set precedent about how abortion needed to be legalized, so they would do these like publicly available talks entire, that are entirely illegal about DIY abortion, right? Mm. And they would go up to cops and invite them and be like, "Hey, I'm giving a crime lecture that's illegal for me to give later at the following address. In case you want to come, <laughs> cops would come, learn how to." <laughs> Learn birth control and then
1: leave.
4: I was going to say, is this one of those like sitcom moments of them just never being able to be wow. arrested, and the cops being like, "Stop! Stop! Stop! Just, just, just go do your thing. Just stop."
5: It
3: stop, took stop. a year wow. for them to successfully get arrested for actively <laughs> uh, breaking this law.
5: I'm going to go and assume that these women are all white.
3: These are three yeah. white
5: women. So yeah. that's you're using your privilege, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like go, go to jail. Yeah.
4: But they didn't realize how privileged they would be. They really did assume yeah. this was going to work. Yeah. Like, surely, surely this one time they will arrest us, not thinking, oh, no, I'm a white girl yeah. who's coming in, being all cute about, let me tell you
5: about yeah, exactly. abortion.
3: Yeah. No, totally. And it took them a year. They finally successfully got arrested, two of them, That which is enough. That was the they goal. They were like,
4: thank God. Yeah. Finally.
3: But the case took so long. That Roe v. Wade passed in the meantime. <laughs> um, but they did help set California precedent for like California's specific um, legal, legalization of abortion, which obviously became important again really recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wop, so they were cool as hell. Very cool. Now we're going to stick to California, but we're going to go down to another imaginary city, Los Angeles. Mm, yeah. No, no one's ever heard of Los Angeles. It's just, it's the Never. city that exists only in the movies. That's, I think. it's Like Gotham. Yeah. It's a joke because everyone in podcast world except me lives in Los Angeles. I mean, actually, none of the people, whatever. We I'm not telling anyone. I everyone was
4: going to say. <laughs>
3: All three of us live in Los Angeles at the following address. Right, right. So we talked about some of the people we're about to talk about last time you were on, but I want to go into a little bit more detail and or like different detail about them because they're just. It's cool, and I learned some cool stuff they did, and i want to talk about it. And it ties into the stuff we're going to talk about a little bit later.
4: Okay.
3: So the feminist movement of the 60s did an awful lot. They also did an awful lot wrong, and we'll talk about some of that. But one of their favorite tactics was called consciousness raising. And it's one of these, like, tactics that, again, kind of, like, it's like soapboxing. Soapboxing doesn't make any sense in the modern world. It's hard to imagine, right? It's hard to imagine I'm going to go into a public square, stand on a box, and talk, and people aren't just going to, like, either throw money at me or call the cops. Mm-hmm. But that was a big thing that people did. Consciousness raising. They were like, patriarchy keeps women isolated in homes controlled by men. So let's just get women together. Under the right circumstances and talking about the right things and with the right prompts, that can be revolutionary. And they were right. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of things that have happened in this world have happened because marginalized people just get together and compare notes. Mhm. An awful lot and like there's like revolutionary in like the larger scheme of things about like pushing social issues and there's just a lot of people who realized that their husbands were pieces of shit who were able to fucking leave. Mm-hmm. You know? Consciousness raising got women together to break their isolation and it helped folks realize their own agency and it also led to the next cool people to discuss who ran what was called the self-help movement and relatedly menstrual extraction. So, in 1969, this story did not. This part of the story did not go the way I wanted it to. In 1969, five women started hanging out with an illegal abortionist named John Gwynn in Los Angeles, and John Gwynn kept going to jail for abortion. But he was like, "Whatever, it's the right thing to do. It's also my job. I'm a crime doctor. I've got to do crime." As a doctor, yeah. Uh, we talked about him before because he invented uh, some game chambers in abortion, like suction abortion, or mm. a way to do it specifically. And he, like, started making certain types of early abortions way the fuck safer. Mm. A year later, 1970, he actually gets himself arrested on purpose in a similar way as the other women we talked about, or the women that we talked about, because he wants to challenge abortion laws. And the way he did it is really fucking neat. He just set up an abortion clinic, like, put a sign out front that was like, abortions, get them here. The abortions here. They're free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was called the Community Service Center and Women's Abortion Clinic. And it was a free abortion clinic in Los Angeles. Just like, hey, Amazing. crime doctor here. If you need any crimes done.
4: Don't even need a coupon. Just come on in. Yeah. It was
3: open for five days. Uh, That's then, longer than I expected. Yeah, me too. I me
5: too.
3: And then all of its employees were arrested. Of course. John Gwyn, who was 29 years old, was like, yeah, I've done about 2,000 abortions so far in my life. <laughs> And to be fair, he's also already been to jail for it several times at this point. Mm-hmm. And even when he charged money, he charged it like the like three hundred. I didn't write the actual amount, but I read it earlier. It's like three hundred bucks or so, which is um, about half of what hospitals charge for abortions at the time. And what you because you could get one in a hospital if it was medically necessary, and then it cost about twice what he was charging. Mm. This man should be cool. People who did cool stuff sometimes. I talk about men on this show and then find out that they're awful halfway through researching them
4: Mm, yeah in
3: 1972 John Gwynn 31 shot his 21 year old girlfriend to death oh he says they were arguing about her using drugs and she pulled a gun on him and during the resulting struggle he accidentally shot her I have no reason to believe him and neither did the court system (laughs) yeah to be fair I have no reason to believe the court system either my instinct is fuck this guy (laughs) And I'm real sad about it. Yeah. But before all that, in 1969, these five women are like hanging out being like, yo, crime doc, like, what's your crime doc ways? And he's like, well, I'm using this new technique, using suction to extract an early pregnancy. And they're like, wait, that looks easy as shit. And he's like, it is easy as shit. And they're like, we're going to do it. And he's like, okay. Mm -hmm. And these women, they were involved in above ground organizing for abortion rights too they'd throw abortion rights rallies where women from the crowd could come up to the microphone and just shout to the world that they'd had abortions and they weren't ashamed. You know? Mm. Which is like one of these things where people are like, well, why are you proud of it? And you're like, because it's like, legal and it shouldn't be. That's mm. why. Like, I wouldn't be proud of having gotten my tonsils out because it's, it's legal. And you know what else is legal? Uh, Shereen, are all of the things that being advertised legal or are some of them crimes?
5: I cannot legally comment on that, actually, um... But you never know what's gonna happen in the future.
3: That's true. Everything
5: is on the internet forever. So So maybe
3: these are crimes. Do whatever the ad is, what they're saying in the subtext is steal the following product. That's what they're telling you.
5: (laughs) Don't.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't. Don't. Sorry. (laughs) Don't steal the following product. (laughs) It's only cool to talk about crimes, not do them. Here's ads. And we're back. So these women, they're like, oh, we're learning how to do these pretty effective abortions. You know, these these early stage pregnancy suction abortions. So in Los Angeles, there's this conference about abortion that was for physicians. And so these five women, they marched up onto the stage unannounced, like took the stage and announced to the room, quote, Doctors, we're going to do it ourselves. Women are going to take this back.
5: (laughs) Is that a direct quote?
3: That is a direct quote of a person describing it. Like, oh, the participant describing it years later, Okay, she might have been paraphrasing. I spent a while trying to figure out whether this is a direct quote or not. Um, like, it is a direct quote from the person who said it talking about it later.
5: Okay. I can take that. Yeah. That's yeah. acceptable.
3: Good job. <laughs> and then they did that. They did it themselves. And also, one of the cool things of it is... They didn't have to murder any barely adult girlfriends in the process.
4: Oh well. No a win is a win.
3: No twenty-one year olds were shot during the resultant. Oh dear God. Uh, thing. So, in nineteen seventy-one, <laughs> a couple years later, they had a meeting, and it was a, a room packed full of women. I think it comes out of consciousness raising circles. That's how they. And one woman, Carol Downer, is one of the original five. She holds up a little suction machine, which is at this point just a syringe and a straw. And the name of the straw, someone got mad at me for mispronouncing last time. But I want to ask you, how often in your life do you say canula?
4: Oh, yeah, never. Canula. That's the one thing I learned about podcasting is you realize how quickly you don't know how to say so many things out loud. Like so many words. I'm like, I've never said this word out loud. Am I in the second grade?
3: Yeah, you would think that if it was spelled cannula, it'd be pronounced cannula, but it's cannula. Which I can see now that it...
4: Anyway. Onyx really messed us up.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, that works if you speak Spanish. Or like some reasonable <laughs> language. Right. A bastard language. Three languages in a trench coat. Uh, so, I bet Carol knew how to pronounce this word. And she pulled oh, she out she this did. machine. And everyone was like a little scandalized and a little bit worried and squeamish. She like describes like people were like faces were turning green. They're like, oh, I don't know, you know. So she laid down on the desk, lifted up her skirt, spread her legs and showed people how to insert it and let people come up and look. And their whole Wait, she thing. she did it do herself?
4: Yeah. That's a talent. And she was just
3: like, well, that's what they teach. What Their whole thing is that they de-scandalize a woman's body from each other mm-hmm. and are like, this is a thing that we can hang out with with each other and it can mm-hmm. be straight women and gay women together and it's not a sexual thing and we can like do that because there's, there's all this stuff about lesbian politics and all this. So I could talk about that a little bit. but um, And so she inserted it and she let people see, come up and look and be like, this is how it works. Um, and then this this menstrual extractor, it could be used to remove the menses Uh, which had the side effect of preventing pregnancy if one, you know, if a pregnancy was beginning to start, it would, whoops, make that not be the case. It wasn't a perfect device yet. It Mm -hmm. had two major problems. One, if air went the wrong way, it was like hella dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it also, and it didn't have a safeguard against that when a murder doctor, I don't normally call abortionists murderers. This guy is separately (laughs) and unrelatedly a murderer. Um,
4: He killed a 21-year-old, everyone, just in case you're coming into this. He's not talking about it because he's an abortion Yeah, that part was
3: cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's the murder that was the problem. We're celebrating that
4: part. The murder, the actual killing of a woman. Yeah. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Uh,
3: And two, if there was more material than would fit in the syringe, you'd have to empty it and reinsert the whole thing. And so it was Mm -hmm. just like not a perfect machine. And so these women were like, why don't we just fix it? And so these feminist lay practitioners saw what was needed, and they invented a whole ass new thing. They added a one-way valve, so it was no longer dangerous, and they added a mason jar, and so suddenly it was safe and effective.
4: Yes. I've seen the pictures of the, with the mason jar. Yeah. It just popped into my head.
3: They're so interesting. They've, they've like, largely mm-hmm. gone out of style. I think, I think because of the rise of mm-hmm. medicated abortions, yes. which is like, well, if anyone is listening, don't assume that the med- medical practices 50 years ago is like should be your go-to. Modern at-home abortion practice revolves around medicated abortion, and go look into that on your own, and don't get your medical information from some translator who doesn't have a uterus who reads history books for a living. That's my, my claim about that.
4: There you go.
3: So this machine, it is and it isn't an abortion machine. It is a menstrual extraction machine, which happens to also make you not pregnant in case that was happening. And you can remove your your menses all in one go. And that's how they pitched it. And that's how they kind of got away with doing it legally. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. No, it's for this, you know? Right. They called the machine the Dell M, which stood for Dirty Little Machine. I didn't know this part last time. Really? Because a doctor had disparagingly Mm -hmm. called it that.
4: The Dirty Little Machine. I really think this is the punk band name that you're you're telling me how to trick me. Oh, fuck. Okay, see,
3: (laughs) I have this rule that... Margaret's Law if someone says that would be a good band name after someone says something it's not true that is Margaret's Law oh really law. but how dare you Dirty Little Machine would be a good band name like genuinely <laughs> that would be a good I'm just band thinking name. you're
4: trying to trick me
3: <laughs> no no normally because like normally like, and I think it's because we got poisoned by this whole era of like crappy band names like Stone Temple Pilots and like Dinosaur Jr. and Smashing Pumpkins just like, like whoa that sounds like nonsense that would be a good band name nonsense doesn't make good band names
4: well, that's a good band name.
3: No. Well, nonsense Margaret's itself Law. would Margaret's be. Margaret's Oh, Margaret's... Yeah. Oh, that would be a... G- if you were a hardcore band, you could be Margaret's <laughs> Law. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so this dirty little machine could be made by more or less anyone. So they made zines explaining how to make it. You you couldn't go to, oh, like... even better. Yeah. You'd have to go to, like, to a medical supply place to get the parts, but it could be made with things that you could purchase legally, you know. And... They also patented it, and this seems to be because they wanted to keep it, the method of its distribution decentralized and not commercialized, so they wanted to be able to like prevent someone from claiming financial ownership yeah. over it. You know, Because yeah. normally you hear about people like inventing cool things and then refusing to take credit and not patenting it, and that's usually the cool thing. But in this particular case, they were like, we want to protect this from economic uh, exploitation. And also specifically, yeah. they were on this tip where they knew... That they needed to control it to some degree because they knew that they shouldn't let it be used as a machine for eugenics and population control, because okay. they were fucking smart and uh, more unique. intersectional than I would have inherently assume some white women um, to be in 1971. Yeah. You know,
4: impressive. The fact that they saw beyond that is is very uh, uncommon, unfortunately. And what I think it is. This is the best I can guess.
3: What I think it is, is that it's like not necessarily that like all the old like white second wave feminists were all bad at intersectionality. And more that they didn't bake intersectionality into what they were doing. And so a fuck ton of them were really bad at it. But also a fuck ton of them were also paying attention and good at it because they were part of social movements that included other types of people. That's like my best guess.
4: So did this include... Other types of people, other marginalized people,
3: they went pretty quickly around the world to promote this. And one of the mm-hmm. things that they, like learned was that they were like, "Oh, in a lot of places, the women's struggle is to not be fucking sterilized." Mm-hmm. you know And they were like, "Cool. We're not about that. This is a separate thing. you know? And so by going around the world, they like, and they also could have looked in their own backyard, and I think they did. You know, they were like, oh, this also matters to this other thing. And then another part of this that I, I read a bit about, and I don't remember how much of it is in the script, is that a lot of the the women's self-help group started with white feminism. And it wasn't just like black women started doing it too, although that's true. Black women started developing it in very different ways that met their own community's needs. And one of the ways that they did it that fucking rules, and I think this started in Florida was that they started making a movement that also was like far more actively inclusive of like birthing centers really like kind of what you were talking about before. Like when we talk about the right to choose, we actually mean choose not choose what we not choose abortion, choose what you want, Mm -hmm. you know? And so they like, and so uh, black feminism did an awful lot of work around that aspect of it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a little bit off the, I mean, it's something that I like read about all the time, but I'm not like looking at my script Mm -hmm. when I, when I say that. But yeah, they were like, this is not a fucking eugenics thing. They were like really upfront about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they started the women's self-help movement as a result. And you would have these parties where women would gather at someone's house and then they would teach you how to do inspections of your own body and other people's bodies. How to use a speculum and a mirror and a flashlight to see and monitor your own cervix and just like look in yourself and figure Mm -hmm. out what's going on.
4: That's so interesting. I don't know why, but did have you ever seen Fried Green Tomatoes? No. Anybody? Wait. Okay. It's okay. It's very, It's uh, no, didn't no, it, age well in a lot of ways. But one of the scenes is the fact that they're all examining their own vaginas to learn to love themselves. And Kathy Bates' character's like, oh my God, I gotta go uh, type of situation. <laughs> and this is very like women love themselves, women take care of yourselves thing. Yeah. But it was very white. As yeah. um, centered. However, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, like, back then, because I remember hearing stories of women coming together and, like, really having that mo- movement of loving themselves and loving their bodies. So, sort of, like, sitting around mm-hmm. with each other, but looking at them with themselves. I wonder how many of these men translated as women just looking at themselves when it was actual actually like self-help things where they were teaching each other how to do these procedures. But men just dumbed it down to, oh, women looking at their vaginas <laughs> and moving on.
3: Yeah, that that sounds true, because like this was a very like I mean, it wasn't like it was science. It was folk science, but it was science. They right. were like. Hey, look.
4: But they were really learning about themselves and their bodies, which was for such taboo.
3: Look how this person's cervix is different than this person's cervix. And yeah, yeah. like, totally. And like, learning to track when you're ovulating and track, like, monitor sexual health and do all of this stuff. That was absolutely it. Like, mm. like imagine if I love it. someone just never looked at their own dick. Like, I'm just imagining these men complaining about, like, women yeah. looking at themselves. I'm like, the fuck you think men are doing? <laughs> like,
4: <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You know, the joke about, like, measuring themselves or comparing each other. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know like what I'm talking about? Yeah, dick this measuring contest. I, did, yeah. I, I don't... Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's the term that I don't care about.
3: Yeah. It's just not as good as an old-fashioned pissing contest. I've never been in a literal pissing contest, but but, you know, at least there's some skill involved. Anyway, so... Okay. So they started going around doing these things... There's a quote from uh, Lindsey Comey, who ran a women's health clinic for 30 years, and she describes it. Self-help is a continuum from learning cervical self-exam and fertility tracking to learn how to perform and then provide abortion care beyond the walls of the clinic. It was always the movement's course to teach simple practices with low risk and then gradually introduce more complicated practices, sometimes with more risk. And so the thing that's interesting to me here are the parallels between this and what was happening in like 1930s Germany, you have these, mm-hmm. this, the above ground mm-hmm. thing that's happening is people are meeting behind closed doors and talking about sexual health. And then those same people are like, and here's how to not get pregnant. And then, oh, if also, if you're pregnant, we'll figure out a way to deal with it. You know? Mm-hmm. In 1972, Carol Downer and another woman were arrested for practicing medicine without a license because they were showing someone how to inspect their own cervix. And apply yogurt to treat a yeast infection. And Carol fought in court, like pled not guilty, and won. And convinced the jury that the right to self-exam is not practicing medicine without a license.
4: Hmm.
3: Which is a ridiculous thing to have to win. But I'm glad someone went through the effort of getting arrested to prove that you're allowed to look at your own vagina. Right. Like, oh, cervix. But yeah. So, they had this thing. They're doing the self-help movement. When Roe v. Wade became the law, nineteen seventy-three, the folks in LA who developed the Dell M, they came out swinging. They set up an abortion clinic, like right the fuck off. Abortion was legalized on January twenty-second, nineteen seventy-three. By February, they were performing legal abortions with a hired and licensed doctor. Abortion activists in Oakland followed within months. And menstrual extraction didn't go away. It kind of went underground, but in a supported underground environment where like the clinics would I believe, provide people with the materials that they needed to build their DLMs and stuff like that. And thousands of women continue to teach each other the skills necessary to manage their reproductive health. But it was done in conjunction with the feminist health centers and clinics. And this is that shit I love that I invented where the above ground and the underground work together um, as friends. With Sometimes you need enough, like, firewalling where, like, the people who do the above ground shit don't know the illegal people, you know? But, like, whatever.
4: Right. Compartmentalize.
3: Yeah. The Oakland Feminist Women's Health Center, which ran the Oakland Clinic, started the previous year as one woman, 19-year-old Laura Brown. And she answered the phone using three different voices. So people didn't <laughs> so people didn't realize there's only one woman running this whole thing, you know, by herself.
5: Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, I love that so much. That's actually. So yeah. <laughs> I love that.
3: <laughs> Later it becomes the women's choice clinic. And it started before Roe v. Wade as a women's health clinic. It was teaching cervical exams and menstrual extractions. And, of course, it was illegally referring people to abortion providers. They also ran an abortion hotline. And when women would call, it was very quickly not just one woman running this place. When women would call and they'd be like, oh, I need an abortion. And also, by the way, I'm in a domestic abuse situation. The women from this would just show up in numbers to help the woman and Mm -hmm. move all of her stuff out of the house safely. Um, which is a thing that I believe is part of the human condition is that everyone who's listening needs to be prepared to do that at some point in their lives. If you hear about someone who needs this help and is willing and mm-hmm. it is safe for them to get it from you and a large group of people, join a group of people to help anyone escape a domestic abuse situation. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. Since you're the same generation as me, you'll remember this. You remember in '92 the famous Pat Robertson quote about feminism?
4: Oh, Pat Robertson, such a he said so much. Which one? Okay.
3: Feminism is about a socialist anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians.
4: Yeah, I think that became uh, pretty much a, a rally cry for yeah. a lot of feminists at that point.
3: Oh, I hit all of those notes. I mean, obviously, I don't believe it's actually about killing children. I believe it's about <laughs> aborting fetuses. But it was absolutely a bunch of socialists. Not all of them, but many of them were socialists and communists. Uh They absolutely did abortions. They absolutely hated capitalism. They absolutely helped so many women come out as lesbians. Right. I also found connections to early Wicca coming out of this movement. And I just didn't have time to chase that rabbit down that rabbit hole. But so even the practicing witchcraft part, you're
4: like, eh, he's not wrong. The whole part to this, he's not wrong. The fact that Pat Robinson, of course, because this dude was always on TV trying to get all the old people's monies. What he doesn't understand is the reason Wicca or any other anti-Christian religion was actually on the rise is because of the Christian trauma that the majority of these women had gone through oh, totally. when any of these things applied to them. So, in actuality, they created yeah. <laughs> that movement. Yeah. in in like, from what I remember, because, like— on on my show, we mm-hmm. did a, like a literal ten part episode about Christian uh, Christianity and trauma, okay, and religious trauma. And we talked about the feedback that things like the purity culture, which only enhanced rape culture, yeah. was part of the reason women have run away from religion and leaders like Pat Robinson himself.
3: No, that makes so much sense to me. I actually want to go listen to that episode because this is a, that's the kind of <laughs> kick I'm on lately is learning about some of that shit. <sighs>
4: You know, there's so much trauma,
3: ok. So there's another origin to the abortion rights movement. So we trace this one, the the women's self-help, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're going to trace the Black Panther Party,
1: mm-hmm. yes,
3: and the Black Panther Party had been doing its thing with the medical world, which we've talked about a few times. We did an episode about the Black Panther Party. We've also talked about the Young Lords and a bunch of um, other folks out east that are other groups of people that have done a lot of medical access as their like core movement work, right? But in the Bay, the Panthers ran free medical clinics and were teaching lay people how to do blood work and urine analysis, all part of their theory of self-health. And I love self-health because I don't know whether it was an intentionally a riff on self-help, even though it sounds like almost the same, right? Because it's it's a riff off of self-defense, right? They're like, well, we do mm-hmm. self-defense work, but we should also do self-health work.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And we've talked about a, a little bit earlier on this episode, but then also in another episode, I, in a birth control episode, I talked about where the Panthers at least started around birth control, which is that they were largely against it. But I, I want to talk about it a little bit more. It didn't start as a political party, super keen on abortion access and birth control, because the black community was fighting against the genocide of forced sterilization. And as you mentioned, there's a, there a mass campaign of forced sterilization for decades, and it was one of the most evil and least talked about things in U.S. history and there was like all kinds of things where it was like literally like well if you want to be on welfare you have to get sterilized Um, and obviously this disproportionately affected women of color and often people just directly did racial targeting and whatever anyway but black women including some panthers still fought for bodily autonomy despite the original position of the black panther party. By 1971, the Panthers changed their party line to be against forced sterilization rather than be against birth control. Uh, And this was in response to women pushing for what they needed from within the party. To quote Jennifer Nelson, As the feminist message of a woman's fundamental right to abortion became more widespread, and as black women began to forge a feminism of their own, the Panthers refined their criticism to accept birth control and abortion when voluntarily chosen. This gradual transformation came at the behest of black women, both in the party and outside of it, who rejected the total condemnation of reproductive control for people of color as genocidal. And so, this other origin, these people who are used to fighting for their medical needs and are doing all of this amazing community organizing work, end up coming together. By the end of the 70s, the Women's Choice Clinic in Oakland was black-led and occasionally it was former Panther-led. And what may or may not Black-led is stuff. Ads. Some of it.
5: Oh, that was that was a weird one. That was, that one that was, was bad. bad. <laughs> that one was bad.
3: Well, not the exit. Uh, you know, actually, one of the ways that you reverse economic extraction is to um, buy black-owned, buy from black-owned businesses and from worker-owned businesses. And if we happen to have any ads for that. Then do that. But even if we don't have ads from it, it's a thing worth considering doing. Here's stuff. Search it though. Yeah, do some research first.
7: That's a good point.
5: That was tough. (laughs) That was a tough ad transition. (laughs) Uh,
7: We did it.
3: Okay, we'll just cut now.
7: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury
3: And we're back. And fortunately, we've all forgotten about how awkwardly Margaret did that.
4: (laughs) It was an awkward break because the conversation was serious and something that's not talked about enough. I think that's Mm -hmm. part of the problem is when we have these conversations about great uh, steps that they've made or revolutionaries Mm -hmm. that for so long that so many uh, other sides or the intersectional stuff has been left out. Because everybody wants a pretty painted story, kind of like uh, the whole um, voting rights for women. The fact that they were freaking racist and leaving out black women on purpose and women of color on purpose. And then we still celebrate them because they're like, they did kind of good, but we can't, you know, I'm the Debbie Downer in this situation. But like you remember, they're still assholes. Yeah, (laughs) So it's hard. No, it's a good job, Margaret. You did great. Thank you. Every now and then,
3: (laughs) I I think people every now and then are like, oh, what about this, like suffragette? And I'm like, fuck them. You know, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'll do the suffragettes at one point, but it'll be real complicated at best. And honestly, all my heroes were not excited about them even at the time.
4: The Haudenosaunee people did a lot for the suffragette movement. So you should talk about them. First Nations people that still exist. No, yeah, no, that's actually
3: really interesting. The Haudenosaunee have come up a couple times on this show um, because they're. Love them fucking cool and they schooled marks but i didn't know about that particular connection so i'm going to ask you more about that once we're once we're done so by spring of 1973 this the the oakland clinic hired a woman doctor fucking finally named Jane jane wiley and they opened women's choice and they set up a clinic right so this is like they're only a couple months behind the the los angeles one they charge $150 for abortions, which is less than half the rate of even friendly criminal providers, and it was a quarter of the rate of a hospital abortion. They got a male urologist to start performing vasectomies as well, which is good. If you are someone who can get a vasectomy and you are committed to not having children, then you should probably get a vasectomy. It's a less invasive procedure than um, what other people have options of. They use their funds to support feminist causes that they that they raise with this clinic, like the cause of Inez Garcia, who was convicted of murder for killing her rapist.
1: Hmm.
3: And so the feminist movement, funded in part by these medical clinics, got her a retrial and a feminist lawyer and got her off on self-defense. Yes. And helped set precedent in a person's right to use deadly force against sexual assault, which is... (sighs) It's much harder to make that case You know, than like Mm -hmm. other particular things. But like when I, I think people know that I like, you know, took a concealed carry class and sometimes use firearms and stuff. And the times that it is legal to use deadly force is when yourself or someone else is being threatened with deadly force or with uh, sexual assault. So thank you. Inez, I'm sorry that you had to suffer, but I'm glad you killed that man with a 22. And also, how hard do you have to be, of a motherfucker, to kill someone with a fucking 22? That is not a killing gun. Anyway,
4: I know nothing about guns, but props.
3: Very small gun. That's for shooting rabbits.
4: Okay. Well, I got it done.
3: Yeah, one of my friends who was shot was—they're uh, uh, fine, but they were—they <laughs> were shot as a teenager for with a 22. <laughs> they were—they were shot for being gay, um, but they were shot in the leg with a 22, oh, shit. and they were like. I thought I got stung with a bee. I mean, they had to go to the doctor, and it was bad, and, like, people die when they get shot with twenty twos. But it's like...
5: Wait, they thought they got stung by a bee?
3: Yeah, because they got shot in the leg with a twenty two,
5: And that's, oh, like, a bee real? sting.
3: Yeah, it's real painful. You're like, ah, fuck. It doesn't sound like it's oh. painful. I mean,
5: you mean, like, in the moment, it was, like, bee sting. It wasn't, like, after, like, it was, like... Never mind. Yeah, yeah, I no, confused. no, it was a
3: real wound, and they had to go to the hospital. <laughs> um, wow. And it could have been way worse, but, like... I don't know. If you're listening, I'm glad you're okay.
4: So they got hate crime essentially is what you're Yeah, yeah. One of my friends who got hate crime got hate crime I the twenty two.
5: Margaret's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about.
4: <laughs> what? The level of just dryness with these <laughs> traumatic stories that you tell may be part of the classic delivery that you give to us that I enjoy so much. Yeah, thanks.
3: Appreciate it.
4: <laughs> so
3: Anyway, Inez Garcia... I'm glad they're okay. ...shot and killed a man with a 22. Uh, he oh. deserved it. And when she got her retrial, she was like... Because her original trial, her defense was like, oh, she wasn't thinking right in the moment and stuff. And her retrial had a feminist lawyer, and the feminist lawyer was like, that man needed shooting.
4: Yeah. I mean, to be fair...
3: The jury was like, yeah. Even
4: today, that's hard to do.
3: I know. No, it is.
4: Self-defense cases are so yeah. often... Against women in general, yeah. we talk about that woman who just took away guns from her abusive husband, and she got jail time God. Um, mm-hmm. because he wasn't supposed and he had charges. Mm-hmm. But in the end, like we talk about things like that, so I don't blame the first lawyer being like you're not. They're not going to believe you. They don't believe women in general. No, totally. So let's do it this way. Totally. Let's plead insanity.
3: No, you're you're, you're right. I think she was a migrant farm worker, and mm. yeah, but
4: good on her and congratulations. I know. Well deserved.
3: I know. She's fucking cool. I like started thinking about another one of my friends who got hate crime and his self-defense case went really badly. Uh, but that's a separate case. Oh, he ended up he ended up going to prison for his own hate crime. Um, <gasps> oh my god. He's out now. If you're listening, I think I owe you a chainmail <laughs> shirt. I promised him a chainmail shirt if he was found guilty because he needed one more than I did. <gasps> what is
4: happening? Anyway, Sorry you went to prison. Here's yeah, a no, totally. No, it's a chainmail
3: shirt. It's a nice shirt. It's fucking metal. <laughs> oh, oh, oh chainmail.
4: Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, a legitimate, legitimate chainmail. Yeah. I think it's too late
5: now.
3: Um, Just kidding. Oh, it, it's probably slightly less necessary than it miss- miss- was before. I went to
5: jail and all I got was this lousy chainmail shirt. <laughs> I should put that on the shirt. <laughs> put it on top of it.
4: Yeah.
3: <sighs> he's like, he's not into the same uh, nerd shit I am. He's probably was like, thanks, buddy. Thanks for that (laughs) promise. Uh, I don't... uh. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, my. Roe v. Wade famously didn't fix everything. And now the right wing went on the attack because now they were like, oh, we're the underdog, says every right winger ever while they're in the process of murdering everyone. Mm -hmm. Over the course of the 70s, evangelicals got more and more anti-abortion. Which means... (sighs) I'm going to talk really quickly about religion and abortion. It's easy to think that right-wing Christians, Protestant, and Catholic have always been against abortion. It's, after all, it's like in the Bible or something, right? It is not. And Christian opposition to abortion is fairly new. To quote Bible scholar Dan McClellan, there is no place in the Bible where full moral and legal personhood is ever attributed to a fetus. The Old Testament is very clear that a fetus is property. If a man injures a pregnant woman in a way that causes a miscarriage, he has to pay a fine. If a man injures a pregnant woman in a way that kills the woman, the man gets the death penalty because life for a life. Because a woman is a person and a fetus is a property. Uh, Very progressive of the Bible in that particular moment. I'm not here to defend the Bible as a source of moral wisdom. But the argument is fundamentally not about when life begins, it's about when personhood begins. Secularly, you could say full legal and moral personhood. Theologically, you could talk about ensoulment, right? When the the soul enters the body. When a person is a person, uh, there's three times people consider. They consider conception, they consider the quickening, when you can feel the fetus move, and they consider birth. All three have their proponents in all of the major monotheistic religions. Jewish traditions are more likely to say that the breath of life enters at birth, though a ton of conservative Jewish interpretations disagree. Protestantism of the not-in-America kind is like, usually it's like birth, that that makes more sense. Evangelical right-wing American Christians are like, we fucking hate women, we don't care about life. Mm. And then the Catholic Church, they've always been not particularly excited about abortion, but it wasn't until 1869 that the church officially decided that... There was no uh, Catholic doctrine against abortion until 1869, Uh, before the quickening, sorry. So like most of the abortions that happen in our world. And then they switched it over to conception in 1869. So for more than 1,500 years of its history, the Catholic Church wasn't quite as wildly controlling of people's bodies as it is now, although its never had a good track record about that. But most U.S. Catholics, 56% of them, support legalizing abortion, even though the church kind of created the pro-life movement here. The Quran is silent about abortion and different Islamic traditions have different views on the matter. And silent on it the same way that the Bible is silent on it doesn't mean that most people don't try and interpret it in certain ways. Whatever.
5: There's can I can I yeah, interject yeah. here? Please there's do. There's a hadith. A lot of people that I know who are Muslim, there's it's pretty like fairly accepted that abortion is uh, allowed. Because I was I, rem- I remember there was something in the Quran that like is a reason why everyone thinks it's legal in Islam, but the key reason that Muslims think the procedure of like abortion is allowed is that there are verses in the Quran that indicate that a fetus is not a life until a soul is breathed into it and that doesn't happen at conception that happens later mm-hmm. and a lot of scholars believe it's between 40 days and 120 days. So that's why the majority of Muslims see abortion as allowed in Islam. From my point of view, a lot of like Islamic feminists are really proud of the fact that like within Islam abortion is allowed, and they could, like, take care of their own bodies. That's from what I understand.
3: No, that makes a lot of sense to me, yeah. Um, Yeah. And, which is that that 120 days type thing is, like, overall what most of the religions have kind of said until pretty fucking recently. Catholics were more or less the first anti-abortion crusaders in the U.S. Eventually, right-wing evangelicals realized they could control people's bodies, so they showed up in the 70s. And... There's no theological consensus among monotheists that abortion is immoral and it's weird as shit that people use it to try and control people's bodies. And the reason I want to talk about it is because as if we, we talked earlier about like the framing and understand how people's like frame interprets how they... I, I don't know how to make sense out of this. I wrote what I wrote in the script. I don't know how to riff off of it. Anyway, I just get really fucking annoyed. I get really fucking annoyed that people are like, well, the Bible says. And I'm like, one... That is a list of uh, moral ideas from a very long time ago, which is a very interesting document that people interpret all kinds of ways, and that's fine, whatever the fuck. And two, no, it doesn't. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) By 1985, 90% of medical abortions were done in standalone abortion clinics rather than in hospitals in the United States. But then the anti-choice movement was getting fiery. The arson started in 1977. Clinic escorting started in 1980 by the National Organization for Women now. uh, They would walk patients into clinics past picketers, and people still do this now. It is an absolutely worthwhile thing to volunteer and do if you're looking for a way to connect with community around you and get involved. Uh, There are different organizations that run it in different areas. I'm only aware of it in my area, so I can't tell you how to get involved. By 1983, there have been more than 20 bombings and arsons of clinics. By 1985, the first women's clinic, the one in L.A. that has come up a couple times, was torched. And the fire department was like, what? Why would we think it's arson? We're not even going to look. Like, it was probably the restaurant. Restaurants always burn down. What are you talking about? Whoops. So there wasn't even an investigation. And you can't even find it on the, like, list of, like, arsons of abortion clinics because it's not listed, because it doesn't count, because no one investigated it. hmm they reopened in a new location. But more importantly, folks started coordinating. Well, more importantly to our story about cool people, whatever. I don't know. It's not more important. Another thing that happened, people started coordinating for mutual defense and not just escorting. Escorting is absolutely great. Escorting is absolutely a thing where you do where you can't engage with the picketers, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you do clinic escorting, like a, your whole thing is to like not let anything get more escalated and whatever, you know? And they were like, "Well, we need some f- we also need some rowdiness. They're really rowdy right now, the baddies, the, the antis. I can't use baddies as a bad thing anymore, because apparently slang has changed. This has come up a couple times on the show.
4: Has it? It's amazing. So
3: they, they formed the CDC, the other CDC. They formed the Clinic Defense Committee. Various leftist groups get their shit together and started holding defense vigils outside of the clinic in Oakland. And this is all kinds of groups. It's anti-imperialist groups and unions and feminist groups. It's communists and anarchists. And suddenly the antis got real quiet because there was a whole lot of very angry and non-pacifist people out defending the place. And not shockingly, one of the co-founders of the CDC was a former Black Panther, now a radical Black lesbian feminist. And so they're like, oh, we don't want to go to that clinic. They're scary there. Since this was a leftist group, it had a ton of names over the years. The CDC became B-A-C-A-O-R, and it became Um, B-A-C-O-R-R. The Bay Area Coord, and whatever. I didn't write down what they stand for because they all have a million fucking names. And they're all the same name. Whatever. Similar, yeah. yeah. But they're or now. I'm going to call them or And or was cool as fuck. They're our last cool people we're going to talk about this week. Sometimes they did the militant thing. They would stand around looking and being tough. Operation Rescue was the name of the main antis. That they would call the anti-abortion protesters antis. And Operation Rescue was like this place that would organize what they called hits, which is where they would get hundreds or thousands of people to descend on a random clinic and like shut it down and like block it and do all this like and assault people. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, bad. and. So they infiltrated, back or infiltrated Operation Rescue and other anti-groups. Sometimes they did street theater. They hold signs that said, Ladies against women and every sperm is sacred and would go and stand with the antis. They were defending their own legal access to health care. But soon enough, they learned and took as one of their core principles, You do not depend on the police. That is like a verbatim one of their principles. Because they would get arrested themselves for blockading for like preventing blockades of private property that they owned and legally operated. They had a rapid response phone tree to get people out in minutes to defend places where antis would hit and en- on en- mass. Sometimes they met at this place called The Long Hall, which is an anarchist info shop that's still running in the Bay and therefore living up to its name, The Long Hall. So fuck yeah, good on you. <laughs> in
6: 1988,
3: Bacor was meeting there. An anarchist artist couple that was in Bacor who are still alive today, which also makes me really happy. They put up posters all over the city. They designed these bandanas for everyone in Bacor to wear to identify each other, which was like the feminist symbol instead of a triangle made out of triangles. And it would say like pro-choice and or on it and stuff, you know. They made these sick bandanas that everyone wore. <laughs> Folks made VHS tapes teaching tactics and started spreading them around the city to new activists. So – and people did amazing shit before the I mean, people do amazing shit yeah. with the internet, and the internet makes a lot of this way easier. But they would have, like, right. spotters would do vigils at, at abortion clinics near a payphone. And if they saw someone, they'd oh. call the first person in the phone tree, who then calls two people from the phone tree, who calls two people from the phone tree.
4: Mm-hmm. Phone trees. Man that shit the the little parents the school parents who yeah <laughs> use that that's a weapon for real
3: okay so the only time i've ever used used one was a, a squat defense in the netherlands where the cops came and within like 15 minutes there was like 150 squatters outside while i was like inside sweeping and it was very nice
4: <laughs> that's amazing um yes phone trees are powerful yeah the days oh the days of all i know
3: now use a signal group <laughs> which is better and faster don't get me wrong yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it fucking worked. Slowly, they got the numbers to start holding back the hundreds of antis who had swarm clinics. They got a thousand. Eventually, they're getting a thousand people showing up every time the antis tried to show up at a clinic. And one of their slogans was, "We don't write letters. We're backhor," which meant like, <laughs> "We're not writing letters to the fucking senators here."
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> like, right. We're we're showing the fuck up. <laughs> right. Again,
4: old school tactics.
3: Yeah. They developed clinic defense boards, which when I first saw the drawing of them, I thought they were just shields, but they're not. They're like two foot by four foot pieces of plywood with like handles on the top and the bottom. And so they're for putting at your feet and like stepping on and then holding on to. And when you get a row Um, of people, you can build a barricade. But it's not like a barricade that no one can reach over. It's a barricade that no one can like walk over, you know? Okay, yeah. And so you can use it to, uh, well protect a corridor for patients to get in and out of these clinics. And so they'd show up and they'd have these huge signs that'd be like, the clinic is open, you know, because people would show up and obviously they'd be like, oh, there's a thousand people here who hate me.
4: Yeah.
3: And, and it is awful that, you know, people had to face that down, but there was a, a thousand people there to protect their right to access to. Right. And they went on the, the offensive too. They would picket the churches that harbored Operation Rescue they learned street theater from ACT UP, a cool as fuck AIDS awareness direct action group. I can't wait to talk about one of these days. They infiltrated Operation Rescue meetings for information, and occasionally they disrupt them. The, the last story I'm going to leave with is that there's a story of uh, this anarchist lesbian from New York who had to hide her mohawk under her hoodie, I think. And to her and two other women put on very conservative, like button down floor length skirts, which don't get me wrong, I'd love a floor length skirt. And, and then they would sneak into the, the, the meeting, right? And then drop stin- stink spray chemicals into the air vents, which is like really <laughs> noxious. And it cleared the space in moments. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the three women ran out and they got kind of ID'd, and two of them got caught. <laughs> and like the, the one woman spent five days in jail, and the third woman got away. The third woman was like, fuck this, yeah, I'm yeah. out of here, and got away successfully. You're
5: right. And yeah
3: they were just fucking cool and so like every time shit that's bad happens we can respond and we can mitigate the worst of the harms and we can and we learn so well when we like not just work intersectionally but work in coalitions you know like work in ways that are like oh well of course like when black feminists start doing this work, it's going to look different and it's going to work. We can learn so much from that group. And when, you know, queer folks are doing this, it's going to be a little bit different. Like, and it's like, they're learning from ACT UP and they're doing, it makes me happy when skies are full of evangelicals.
4: (laughs) Well, as you said, it needs to be above ground and below. A little bit of legal with a criminal. And and what we learn is there are tactics and there are methods to do both, and it's okay. Yeah. And sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. As Margaret invented y'all. yeah.
3: Yeah, the inventor of crime. Uh, every crime. No, wait. No, there's a lot of bad ones. I didn't invent oh, the bad are ones. Are you sure? Yeah, no, because like.
5: Are you sure? Yeah,
3: like, yeah, no, no. It turns out crime is a really bad way of uh, determining something's moralness. Um, it turns out some stuff is illegal because it's bad, and some stuff is illegal because society sucks.
4: Right. So right. So we're talking about the ones that makes you know society sucks. Yeah. That's that's what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah. Break. That's
3: what he's Break them laws. That's what we're all talking about. Yeah. Don't <laughs> break shoot break your fucking law. girlfriend, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Every time there's a there man in a that story, literally
4: murders adults. Yeah. It never ends well. Some of them you know, are it's fine. Kind of like Mike. Oh yeah, like Mike from uh, the original uh, Jane Collective, and oh yeah, Nick like, Mike. Yeah, we like we like him, but we don't Nick Mike, but we don't like him yeah. because we know he was shady.
3: Yeah, who knows what the fuck he was money. up to otherwise, but uh, that one thing he did was good.
4: <laughs> on that documentary, he was actually on it. I believe. Oh really? Oh shit! Yeah, you need to go back. I'm. T- I told. I sent you and Sophie that email. Like y'all need oh to go watch God. this. I think Nick Mike is on here. <laughs> I do because
3: everyone should go back. And there's a callback to our episode we did about Jane Collective. There was this very. Uh, he was described as handsome by <laughs> one Jane participant, and I have forever on yes. referred to him as the very handsome man who rides around on a scooter and performs abortions, and then taught women how yes. to do it, and then dipped, which is like. If you're and in then a, we thought
4: maybe he owed money to the mob or something. To the mafia. I think he just ran worked away. for him.
3: That's my theory.
4: Oh, well, that might have been on. It may have been on the show where they say he owed money and he, that's why he disappeared.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I can't remember. You, I don't I know. Got go go need that to that go document. watch it. There's so minute. much written about Jane, which is great. I'm like,
4: yeah. I'm not trying to. Well, unfortunately, it's more relevant today than, and they're still alive. So yeah. a, a chunk of the uh, collective is still alive, yeah, which rules. It does. So, Unfortunately, they have to see this again, though.
3: Here's to everyone who's currently doing clinic escorting, making
4: yes. d-
3: d- information about self-medicated abortions uh, or self-administered medicated abortions available. Here's to everyone doing yeah. all the hard work. Here's to all the crime doctors. Here's to all the doctors who did it while it was legal but still not safe. And... uh yeah. And here's to you, Samantha McVeigh. What did you do that people can hear about?
4: Uh, Well, I am on a podcast called Stuff Mom Never Told You, where we talk about uh, specific organizations that you can support in this time, such as National Network of Abortion Funds, abortionfunds.org, which will often lead you to uh, necessary information if you so need, celebrating uh, different organizations like Los Libres, it was run by Veronica Cruz Sanchez, um, and they are a big organization in Mexico that are providing medication and help to the U.S., Fuck as yeah. they know we are in the shit show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and she has been celebrated because she continues and has advertised that she will help the U.S., Texas, just in case y'all need to know, Las brace once again. Yes, you can find me on my show. You can find our book. Uh, we talk about the Jane Collective as well. As well as the Haudenosaunee's, which I mentioned previously, which is a very interesting uh, First Nations people who helped U.S. Uh, become where it was for the women, for many of us women. Um, and yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Sam. if you like pictures of sad dogs because I just gave her a bath. That's one picture. She hates a bath.
5: <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> as well as we have uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You Instagram. And TikTok and kind of the dying Twitter that we barely use.
3: Yay. Yeah.
5: Thanks, Sam. Mantha. Oh, wow, that was, co- that was close. That was close. That was close. Well, <laughs> that, was close. that is the,
4: the,
3: the, the Instagram name. Well, Sam. Yeah.
4: Like so, yeah. they, yeah. Sam.
5: It's true. Yeah. Well, I got it right. Uh, no, that was, I always learned so much on the show, even as just like uh, listening. So, Wow. Not everyone sucks. Not everyone sucks.
4: I know that's what yeah. makes me happy.
5: Yeah. Thanks for being on the thanks show. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, well, thanks Margaret. For, sharing. for being Margaret. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. And giving me all this
4: good information.
3: You were, as mm-hmm. always, the right guest for this, and I'm very happy.
5: Mm-hmm. Always happy to be here. I told you it was the Samantha
3: episode. And if you want to hear Shireen talk about stuff, since Shireen won't do her own plugs,
5: I'll do it. I'm one of the rotating hosts of It Could Happen Here. I'm on Twitter at shirohero666 and then Instagram is just shirohero. But uh, yeah, follow this show too. What's the what's this show's handles? Does, it, does this show have handles? Handles. I should know that.
3: No, uh, we just use Cool Zone social media. Great. Go follow Cool, cool Zone <laughs> Media and Cooler Zone. Go subscribe to Cooler Zone Media because then you get all of the ad transitions and none of the ads. That's our tagline. Yep. Uh, all right. That's it. Next week, right. more stuff. Bye.
7: Bye.
5: Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.